So let us read, begin to read with verse 1 of chapter 17. We'll go through verse 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations, and uh, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for everlasting, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of everlasting, a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought, bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. He who is born in your house, he who is born with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. You've got the sermon outline below the, uh, before the service set up there at the bottom of the page. Family, Productivity, and Prosperity. Now, um, I think we're all, we're all interested in being as prosperous as we can in our lives. I think most of us feel pretty guilty when we aren't prosperous, when we aren't productive, when we're not working, when we're not laboring. And uh, so, as God brings us to pass in families, this dynamic of prosperity and working has a dimension within our families and as fathers and mothers, children, brothers and sisters, we all uh, get to participate in that. Well, here is the family of Abraham. Now God is speaking to Abraham and we see, so we see this through the lens of this first family, Abraham, who was kind of like the first family, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, but uh, Abraham is now the first family of the new covenant. Now that we call it the old covenant because it was in the Old Testament. But God was doing something new. He worked with Adam and Eve. He worked with, uh, after their fall, he worked with Noah, um, the, uh, the uh, 
parents and grandparents of Abraham. But finally, when Abraham comes along, God begins to uh, show that he's going to do great things for the earth, but he's going to do it through this family, the family of Abraham and Sarah. And so um, he comes to Abraham in chapter 17 to get this going. Now, the first point of the sermon is that Abraham is overwhelmed by old news. What we see here is that Abraham basically falls on his face before the Lord when the Lord talks to him. But the Lord is not really telling him anything new. The Lord has told him these things in the past. But now we see God appearing before Abraham, and Abraham is just overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord. Now, there's a lesson here for us as believers in, in families. Um, faith is not just information. Abraham had all this information before, but faith is how that information affects our lives, and faith, uh, so it has an emotional component to it because God has made us this way. God has just, God has not just made us brains. You know, like little computer machines who walk around and as long as we have the right information, we do the right thing or something like that. No, God has created us holistically. We have bodies, and in the, from those bodies, we have different uh, dimensions of our personality. Traditionally, we talk about the mind and the heart or the, the mind and the emotions, but we know that, that the way the Lord deals with us, it does affect us. And especially... <clears throat> When, we, when God draws close to us, God can make us feel very overwhelmed by his presence. It's, it's, we do intuitively, as just conscious people, we do not rightly perceive God. We, we, don't, we don't perceive the greatness of God. Even when we talk about religious ideas, or when we talk about faith, or we talk about Bible stories, we don't, really, we don't really see it as it is, especially we don't really see God as he is. So here in this case, it says when Abraham was 90, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Well, God's been talking like this to Abram ever since chapter 12. He's, he's, come, he's, a, he's approached Abraham, he's been with him, and whenever God actually draws close to Abraham, he is overwhelming, because God is overwhelming. God, in his being, as a spiritual being, as a eternal, divine spiritual being, he is just so much different than we are, even though we do have some attributes or some personality dimensions which are similar, like we can, he loves, we can love. He exists while we occupy space. There are similarities between us. But the greatness of God is overwhelming just by the nature of who he is. And part of our faith ought to be seeking after God in prayer and asking God, God, as you as you came so close to Abraham and you, you basically overwhelmed him, in a sense, I'm afraid of being overwhelmed by you, Lord. But on the other hand, I want to, I want to understand more of you as you are. And in as much as you are the divine God, 
I want to know something of thy divinity in terms of personal experience with thee and my personal interaction with thee. That's not a bad prayer. That's a good prayer. That prayer ultimately led me to become a Christian because as a young person growing up in the church, I confessed these truths that were put before me, but I still felt distant from the Lord. I just felt like there was more to the Lord. And so I started praying as a 17-year-old, and that prayer ultimately led to my being overwhelmed by the Lord in a preaching service where all of a sudden I saw the greatness of God very close to me. And it wasn't that he made a personal appearance, because in that case everybody might have been affected the same way. But God's spirit blows where he will, the Bible says. And so it's a, it's a, it's a per, per, perfectly appropriate thing for us to, um, to seek the God of the covenant as he is and ask God to show us th throughout our lives, to show us more of who he is. And, and God has, uh, uh, God, the, by the Holy Spirit, has, has appeared to me a number of times in my life. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's, you, you don't make a mistake when, <laughs> when the Lord appears uh, in your life. The divine spirit is overwhelming. And um, he can do great things. There are people that have been turned to uh, alcohol, from alcoholism to sobriety in a moment. In just a moment. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's so much in our lives that we don't, know, don't, don't realize. In this case, um, Abraham was overwhelmed. Uh, I don't know how many of you read or, or heard of the name Gordon Clark. He's a very famous Christian philosopher and has done so much good in the 20th century. Um, but uh, in this, uh, uh, Clark argues he's a, uh, Clark is very, very mentally um, developed in terms of his thinking, and he tends to argue that anything that we talk about or anything that we attribute to the emotions uh, are, is really nothing. It's nothing of great significance. That we just, we just need to focus on our minds, and so we just need to focus on the mental part of faith, and we'll be okay. But uh, this, passages like this are where I would disagree with Dr. Clark. As, as, as smart and as helpful as he's been to me, he's been, he's been one of the great guides of my life. But uh, here we see that... Uh, that uh, when the Lord appeared and said, I am almighty God, walk before me, be blameless, etc., 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 it says then in verse 3 that Abraham fell on his face. That's not just the, it's not, it's just, that is not just the reaction to a logical syllogism or to some new information. It's, it's a sign that God is omnipotent and powerful and his attributes are all divine, whether it's his knowledge, his sovereignty, um, his righteousness, his wrath, these things are amazing. And so Abraham was humbled in this case, and um, God, was trying to, God was trying to take this family, and he's working through the head, he's working with the father in this case. He's, trying to, he's taking this father and he's drawing him through certain spiritual lessons so that he can then be a better father, a better instructor, a better example to his children. Because he was going to be the father of many nations. So Abraham falls upon uh, his face. And God start, kept talking to him. And uh, so 
we're going to focus on what he said. Now, in verse 4, he says, As for me, that is the Lord says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and, shall, and you shall be the father of many nations. Well, you ask, if you step back from the text and say, what does the idea of covenant mean? The idea of covenant is a theological idea. We think of a covenant as being a contract that was often written out, like if you sold your land, you'd make a covenant uh, with the, to, for the sale of this land. You'd get so much payment, you'd, you'd, the, the property would be deeded to somebody else. You'd sign your names on it, and that was a legally binding covenant. But what does covenant in this case have to do with these other things in verse 4, uh, being a father of many nations, and that sort of thing. And that's going to develop on through here. Well, what this shows is that um, the covenant, and broadly conceived, is the basis of the strength of our families. It's just that the, the covenant isn't just an abstract document. It's not just like a contract that's written out. The contract or the covenant starts with the reality of God. And God has appeared before Abraham, and God, there's no confusion in Abraham's mind when he talks about covenant. Covenant starts with this voice uh, out of the whirlwind that, uh, that uh, uh, Moses later heard. In this case, it wasn't uh, out of a burning bush, but God just appeared before Abraham. And so there's, when, when God says, I have a covenant for you, and that I'm going to make you prosperous, I'm going to make you productive, I'm going to make you, well, Abraham understood that whatever productivity Whatever prosperity God was speaking of, he knew that it started with God himself. That God was the strength of the covenant, but that this covenant was a commitment that God was making to Abraham. So it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just something that God said to Abraham orally, but there was actually an organized covenant that was interwoven with that speech so that there was an agreement that God was making. There was a promise that God was making to Abraham, and it was warranted by this covenant that he was making with Abraham. And so uh, it's really good. I'm belaboring this because this this has, I think a lot of times we read through our Bibles and we, we see covenant, and what does it mean to us? Well, you ought to rethink. You ought to go say, well, I'll go back to the Abrahamic covenant which there are a number of great historical covenants. There was the Mosaic Covenant that was made with Moses. There's the Abrahamic Covenant that came before that. There was the Noahic Covenant that comes before that, after the flood. And, uh, and then in the New Testament, there's the Messianic. Well, before that, there's the Davidic Covenant with King David, the covenant that God made regarding the kingship of David and uh, his inheritance. And then there's the Messianic Covenant, uh, through Jesus Christ. And every time we have communion, we say, we hold up the wine, we say, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So this idea of covenant runs throughout the Bible. Now in this case, God is constructing or reconstructing uh, a, a family so that they can be really influential in the world and that they can bring his gospel, ultimately even Jesus Christ, into the world uh, to have this great effect upon the world. And so in verse 5, God says, um, uh, No longer shall, you, shall your name be called Abram, 
but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Now, he's already mentioned this idea of many nations in verse 4. He said he's going to make Abraham the father of many nations. Now, he says it again in verse 5. We ask ourselves a question. What, what does it mean, the idea that he will be a father of many nations? As far as we know, even reading all through the Old Testament, he was the father of one nation, wasn't he? The nation of Israel. Well, where are all of these nations, you know? Well, what we see is that stemming from this Abrahamic covenant, the, 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 the Messianic covenant is forecast, in a sense, through this. When Jesus, when, when it was Pentecost Day and the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and the gospel is preached to all these peoples that have come from many different lands and then the gospel starts going out to the nations, that's when this is finally fulfilled. Now, there are harbingers of that beforehand. When Ruth, uh, Ruth the Moabitess, remember, she comes and she joins her uh, Hannah, and they, 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 come, they come into Israel. Uh, Hannah is an Israelite, but she brings her, her, her son, married a Moabite girl. And then the, her husband died, and, and, and Ruth's husband died. And so to get help, they both come back into Israel. Hannah brings her daughter-in-law back in Israel. Well, Hannah was a, I mean, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from the land of Moab. And all through the Old Testament, you have examples of foreigners who are brought back into the land of Israel. And the men, in order to become an Israelite, you had to be circumcised, as this text points out. And, um, uh, and uh, then you could be a true Israelite. If you were, if you were, if you adopted the theology of Israel, and you agreed to live like an Israelite, beginning with circumcision, then you could be an Israelite. And, and you might be from another nation. There were many famous people from uh, the other nations of the world. So that, that was kind of forecast. But in terms of the most of the work that was being done, God was working with one nation, Israel. But in the promise to Abraham, he says, you will be the king of many nations. Now a king is an officer is a political person who is the head over a nation. So this is an extravagant promise that God makes to Abraham that he will, that through his faith and through his family, ultimately through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob, through these men, God was going to affect all the families of the world, even unto the political dominions that they represented, because it speaks of the king, and God, God does not. He doesn't. He doesn't leave his prophecy here in an ambiguous way that it will just affect the people in kind of a nebulous way spiritually, so that they might start going to Christian churches. No. He speaks of the fact that the kings of these nations will be affected. Now, these are things that we, we have seen in, in some ways in antiquity. In the West, we've seen how there were Christians, uh, Christian kings, and they did affect their nations. The Holy Roman Empire, for better or worse, um, represented the kingdom of Christ upon this earth. If you go back before that, you've got uh, Alfred the Great, one of the great English kings, a man that was sick every day of his life, but he became uh, the greatest king and brought the law of God, the law of Moses to bear upon the English world at the time. And you've got other kings like that. Uh, for the most part, though, um, 
the West has turned back from this earlier development, and we're looking for another stage to go forth into the future. People say, well, it just can't be done. People are too sinful. Well, it's already been done to a, to a degree. Uh, we, we, we speak about our, our ancestors, the Scots, and the day that they signed the National Covenant in Greyfriars Churchyard, and the whole, the whole country basically signed that covenant that they would be a Christian nation. Read that, read that in, our, the, in the documents associated with the Westminster Confession. It's wonderful. And they, 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 they printed up these covenants that they made, the National Covenant, and they sent them in little books throughout all the land. And people that would come to your city or your village, and everybody would sign the covenant. Yes, we want to live as Christians before the world. We want, we want our nation to be a Christian nation. These things have been forgotten. Even by us who are covenanters, we forget our own history. We don't understand the, the consequences or the dimensions of this thing. But this is what, what God was speaking to Abraham at this time. And uh, you see it, it goes out and it, it's just like a big explosion and it just gets, the cloud gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, and so to commemorate this, God says he's going to change Abram's name to Abraham and he's going to change Sarah's name to Sarah. It's like the New Testament, God says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The, behold, the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when we're new people, we deserve a new name in a sense. So he, he renames Abraham to show that there's a new thing going on here. Now there's been a new thing going on ever since God started talking to Abraham and said, "Leave Ur of the Chaldees and go uh, and, uh, and and go west to Canaan." But it's getting even more serious now, and so he has this name change in verse five, and then in verse six he talks a little bit more about the fruitfulness. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. You see, God didn't just say this once in a way that maybe we can misinterpret if we read the Bible text. No, he says it over and over again. Nations, productivity, I will do this. Kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant. Back to this word covenant. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. So when moms and dads have children, this is supposed to be on their minds. Uh, we're not just having children so that we can, you know, a dad can build up a successful company or a successful school or some other development so that the kids can take part in that and then the kids can be become wealthy and do their own thing. I mean, that's an idea. That's what people do today, but for the most part, but the whole point of this is that there would be this development of the family based upon the covenant. Is the covenant in the midst of your family? Does your family understand about the covenant? Does your family Has your family made the progress that God gave to Abraham and his family millennia, many millennia ago? Hopefully so. In my case, uh, uh, I was reared as, uh, in a Christian family. My father uh, owned a business, a meat business, and, um, uh, and uh, so I had something to look forward to in terms of a vocation if I wanted it. 
But my, my father and mother made clear to me that there are bigger things than our family, even, and that they involve the kingdom of God. And so I realized that, um, that everything that we did on the family level related also to the kingdom. And so when I became a Christian and felt the call to the ministry right, right away, my dad said, my said, dad said, if you feel called to the ministry, he said, that's where you go. You, you, you take that on. And he said, we'll worry about the family business later. Well, partly through that development, ultimately uh, the family business had to be sold. My father was always of a, such a faithful mind in, in, in understanding and arguing for the priority of the kingdom over our family, even when it had negative dimensions upon uh, our family. Uh, but he, he rejoiced in my call to the ministry. And, um, and so as a minister, I want to rejoice also in the, the productivity of, uh, our, of, of our families. And uh, number, the point four is that the fruitfulness is not just spiritual. You see already, I mean, we have this graphically in, the, in, the, in, in God's teaching to Abraham, that there would be kings that would come from this covenant. And so most of us wouldn't think of any relationship between the politicians of our land and the covenant. Well, we should. They're not, they're not disconnected. Every king should, should understand that he needs to be connected to God. And we should all see that the power of our family prosperity lies in the Lord. This is the paradigm that he's painted for us in Genesis 17. So that when we think of family productivity, we should think first of all about the living God. We should think about the faith that he plants in us. And then when he plants that faith, then we can think about how that works its way out. Now it doesn't just work out. We would The, the, the kingdom of God would be nothing if everybody was called to be a minister. <laughs> we, we would have no food, we would have no crops, we would have no science, we would have nothing, we have no law. Everybody would be, uh, everybody would be doing uh, ministerial things, and we'd all starve to death. That's just not the way it is. Um, and um, uh, so the Bible has this idea of productivity linked to faith. In John 10, 10b, the Gospel of John, verse 10, the second part of it, Jesus says, I have come that they, that is believers, might have life and that they have, might have it more abundantly. We see that borne out in the Old Testament. We see in Leviticus 26, verse 3 and following, God says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season and the land shall yield its produce. You mean the land yielding its produce has something to do with faith? Yeah, it does. It has something to do with covenant obedience? Yes, it does. Uh, and the trees of the fields shall yield their fruit. You can plant apple orchards and peach orchards and that sort of thing. And if you're, if you're a Christian and you clothe that orchard in prayer, the Lord promises to bless that in some mystical way. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage. And the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. Verse 5. This is Leviticus 26, verse 3 and following. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. 
Most of the famines that we have in the world today are caused by political stupidity and, and viciousness and wickedness on the part of politicians of the land. Um, Zimbabwe, an African country in South Africa, was, a, was, the, was like one of the breadbaskets of Africa before it fell to the hand of the communists. First thing the communists did was they, it was their, they, they have this utopian idea, we're going we're gonna to make it even better. So the first thing they did was they kicked all the farmers off their land and they put villagers there who didn't understand farming at all. And within, within, within a season, uh, and it was followed up by Mugabe, you know, these guys, they, they just think they're God and they create chaos for their people. And so within, a, within a, not just a generation, but within a year, Zimbabwe fell into famine. Uh, there's been famine in Venezuela. The same thing happened there. The famine in Russia in 1917. Stalin did the same thing. Kicked all the farmers out of the Ukraine, out of out of the breadbasket of Russia at the time. But God says here, um, your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. If you go into this, if God is controlling your mind, if you're developing your gifts according to the Holy Spirit, all of this comes from the Bible, though. But if you, if, you, if you disdain the scriptures and you disdain God's wisdom, then you'll think you've got better ideas. You know, you've got better ideas than boys being boys and girls being girls and marrying each other and having children. No, now we're going to, you know, you know, on uh, Facebook, the one of the, new, the newest uh, emojis is a pregnant man. Now you can pick a little smiling pregnant man. People are absolutely crazy today. Because they've cut themselves off from the word of God, and they think they're improving upon the Lord. And uh, God is making fun of them. But, I mean, they don't get it yet. They don't get the joke yet. So they're doing these crazy things. But uh, Leviticus 26 says, I will give peace to the land, and you shall lie down, and none of you, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. So all of this, all of these positive, productive effects, you see, are linked to faith and linked to covenant obedience, and they're linked to the families that develop faith and develop covenant obedience and see the. It's like a pebble being thrown into the pond or the water, and then ripples spread out. Uh, the the grace of God is like that pebble. It lands in the midst of your life, and then you begin, you go out and you look for a Christian man or woman to marry, and you, you concentrate your focus on God and not each other even. And God gives you, you lose your life for God, and God gives you back your life tenfold. But all of this is related to the Lord and to covenant and to productivity and blessing. Same thing you have in Deuteronomy 28, um, verse Verse 11 and following. And I'm sorry, 21, I mean 28 verse 1. And God says to Moses there, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey my voice and carefully obey all of his commandments, which come because God was the God of the covenant and gave more information to Moses, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and you shall over and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So 
we don't have to we don't have to discover anew for each generation brand new secrets of life that uh, you know that we can't live without unless we discover them. Uh, God will bring us these things naturally if we're people of faith and we um, we we look to see what the Lord will bring us. In verse three of of Deuteronomy twenty eight, it says, "Blessed." shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, that's children, the produce of your ground, and increase of your herds. So even your, your cattle herds and your goat herds will increase if you're a person of faith, and increase your cattle and your offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. So when you're baking bread, and you're, you know, God promises that he'll, he'll, You'll be a more productive cook. Your yeast will work better if you're a child of faith and of the covenant. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated. Uh, the Lord will command, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand to do. Is that a story? Is that a promise about productivity? Of course it is. And God came to Abraham and gave him these promises that his faith was not just something that was religious, it was not just something that would work on the Lord's day, but that they should look broader. What are the gifts that God has given you? You can use those gifts to be really productive in your life. It starts with faith. It starts with conversion. It starts with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ is interested in Developing the whole world, developing the whole creation, just like as it was when Adam and Eve ruined it so long ago by their disobeying the Lord and by their sinning against him. And so um, all of these things work together for good in our families. Uh, it's amazing the promises that God gives us. And uh, if you go forward, with this kind of hope in your heart, you, you'll be a young man or a young woman, and you may you can't see the end from the beginning. But if you go forth with this idea that God will bless me if I'm faithful, that God will uh, protect me, that God will do this and do that, and then just just taking one step at a time, you will find yourself uh, really making progress in your life. And and God gave these secrets to Abraham. So that not only could Abraham create the first church, in a sense, in a long time, but that that church would be a church that would teach people how to be prosperous and how to really develop themselves in the world. And that's why when Jesus says, I've come that, that they might have abundance and develop things more abundantly, we see that nothing has changed in the Old Testament to the New Testament. Faith is still productive. Faith is still pregnant with significance and with blessings. And we, all, we get all of this through our faith in Jesus Christ today. And uh, because now we are one of these nations that he spoke about to Abraham, we live in America right now, a brand new nation. And there's a battle going on for the future of America. There's a battle for who will possess the reins of America. Will it be paganism? Will it be uh, atheistic Marxism? Will it, be, will it be people that have nothing to do with God and are embarrassed by him? Or will it be uh, us and our children and our children's children that understand something about faith 
and its productivity and its dynamism in the, this world in which we live. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might be people of such faith today. We pray that we would understand that you were ta talking not only to Abraham, who was the father of the race, but you were talking to Abraham and his family. And we see how when he had Isaac, and then Isaac had uh, Isaac had uh, Jacob, and uh, Jacob had twelve sons. We see how we see how your covenant promises worked their way out, and how Israel became a great nation and became a symbol and a flag for the rest of the nations of the world. Oh Lord, you said in the Psalms that all the shields of the kings of the earth belong to you, and so we pray that we would be play our part in the development of these things. But we, we pray that we would not try to do just the secular part or the worldly part without the faith part, without the religious part. We pray that, that, that our faith might be the key to this development. And that we might look for more and more of you as Abraham discovered when you appeared before him there on this day in, Acts 17, or in Genesis 17. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.